We're in the book of Colossians. Um, if you're new or if you don't remember, we work out of the New American Standard Bible. That's what we teach from, the New American Standard Bible. There's one in the seat in front of you, or you can use it on your phone, whatever that looks like. But if you need a Bible for home, please take one in and the seat back in front of you. We're in Colossians 3, verses 18, and we're going to go into chapter 4, verse 1. It's kind of weird how that uh, whoever put these verses together, I don't know why they put verse 1 in chapter 4, but I think it belongs in chapter 3, and, and uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to have a good time. Um, it's just so great to be with you guys. I hope you've had a good week. It's been hot. What's with our weather? It's crazy. It's almost November. It was 90 yesterday. It was 90. Did you know, did you know it was 90 yesterday? That's nutty. Some people are freezing around the country, man. Hey, good news. Before we get started, all my vehicles are back in, at home. My motorcycle's back, running great. My car is back, running great. Cost me a few pennies, but we're good. It's just money. As my father-in-law always says, it's just money. Let's read Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. We're going to read up to... Chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to do a few things, and then we're going to pray. (laughs) Verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Let's pray. (laughs) I I say we stop there, and then, you know, let's go celebrate, man. (laughs) Remember a few weeks ago, Michael talked about context, context, context. We don't want to take this out of context, church. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered or treat them harshly. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of your heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Interesting. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. And that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. (laughs) This is a quote from an article from 1982 about the Watergate scandal. I'll just read it to you. The tragedy of Watergate for the whole country is that people at the heart of our government yielded to the anxiety that whispers so convincingly in all of our hearts that achievement is more important than character. God help us out of this wreckage to learn anew that the highest value and most enduring power in a human enterprise is character. Isn't that a great quote? I want you to turn to Job. The book of Job, it's right before uh, the book of Psalms and Proverbs. Turn to the book of Job. I want to talk about this character just real quickly. After Nehemiah and Esther, which we went through recently, you got the book of Job. And I just want you to see some, just some verses on, on character, the importance of character. In Job chapter 1, the heading above chapter 1 says, Job's character and wealth. Job's character. 
Verse 1 says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Go over to Romans chapter 5. I want to look at verses 1 through 5 on this idea of character. Go to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, and then the book of Romans. Let's read those five verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, that's us as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been justified by faith, we have, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But there's not a period there, there's a comma. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace that he extended in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. Oh, that's fantastic. Verse 3, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. What? Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope will never disappoint because of the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so we see this need for character in our lives. Turn also to the right and go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews is before the book of James, after First and Second Timothy. In Titus, you'll have Hebrews. Go to Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. God is always developing our character if we let him. God's always developing our character. Chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 of the book of Hebrews. Verse 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Right? Focusing on the things of man, not the things of God. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And so we confidently say, the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? When we worry about the fear of man, the fear of this world, instead of the fear of God and reverencing God, we sometimes get uncalibrated and our character gets challenged and we compromise our character. Second thing I want to point out, there's a gentleman named George uh, Mueller or Muller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, and he lived in the 1800s, born in the early 1800s, died in the late 1800s. And he was a Christian evangelist and director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. Anybody heard of this gentleman, George Moeller? No? Moeller cared for, in his lifetime, 10,024 orphans during his lifetime. And he provided educational opportunities for them as well. 10,024. That's a lot. He was accused by some of raising these orphans above their natural station in life. Isn't that sad? When asked the secret of his service towards the end of his life, Moeller said this. It'll be on your screens. He says, there was a day when I died. I utterly died. And as he spoke, he bent lower and lower until he almost touched the floor. Died to George Moeller, he went on to say. His opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. Wow. Man of character. Let's pray. 
Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we get to uh, hear from you the words penned by Paul in, in the end of chapter 3 and the first verse of chapter 4. Holy Spirit, we pray that as we do that you would speak to us. Let us know what you have for us collectively as a church body, for us as families, for us as husbands and wives. Uh, speak to us. We give you room to work in our lives. And we ask for you to comfort us as you do, as you minister to us, and as you challenge us. We pray that you administer to us, Holy Spirit, we pray. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. All right. It might seem like an interesting departure, talking about character, but we're going to get back to that, okay? Let's read our verses again. Let's go back to Colossians, and let's reread our verses for this evening, starting in verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. What Paul has laid out to us here in these verses is the following. He has laid out three groups or two groups. It all depends on how you look at it. In these verses, he laid out three groups, or is it two groups? Let me explain. If you look at it this way, three groups is wives and husbands, children and parents, masters and slaves, or slaves and masters. That's the three groups. Or if you look at it as two groups, the two groups are this. Those that submit, wives, children, and slaves, and those that are submitted to, husbands, parents, and masters. It all depends on how you want to break it up, okay? There is some debate about the Greek word used here in those submitting and those being submitted to. The essential essential message in Greek to both the submitters and the submitted in Colossians 3.18 to 4.1 is this, and it's still under debate. It's this. Whether you're submitting or being submitted to, the Greek says, don't be a jerk. That's a joke. I'm kidding. (laughs) I made that up. I thought it would go over much better than that. (laughs) But it's true. Whether you're doing the submitting or being submitted to, there's a way to do it. In the spirit of thanksgiving, instead of saying, don't be a jerk, don't be a turkey, right? Submit well and be submitted to well. There's godly ways to submit and godly ways of being submitted to. And I think that that's wonderful. As Mueller says, determine whether you're submitting or being submitted to. Determine only to show yourself approved to God. That's who you're showing yourself um, approved to is the Lord, not man. Let's explore how our verses can be both problematic, if we're not careful, and non-problematic if we're being wise. Let me explain. Here's, Here's problematic. If we just look at verse 18, which is what I did in humor earlier, where it says, wives be subject to your husbands, and then you close the Bible. Like, that's problematic. You get that, right? There's more there than to just say, the Bible says, be subject to your husband. Yeah, it says that, but it says a lot more. So it's problematic when we proof text to make our point. 
It's also problematic in verse 20 when it says, children, be obedient to your parents. Yes, it says that, but that's not all it says. Verse 22 says, slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. Yes, it says that, but that's not all it says. Okay, so that's problematic, right? We have to be careful when we do that in the church. It it happens all the time. I know it sounds crazy, but it just does. Here's where it's not as problematic. This is non-problematic thinking. After verse 18, where it says, wives, be subject to your husbands, verse 19 says, husbands, love your wives. That word love is agape. We talked about that last week. Agape is serious businessmen. That's a huge responsibility. After verse 20, when it says, children, be obedient to your parents, it says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Encourage them. And after verse 22, when it says, slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, it says in verse 25, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness. So that's less problematic. You have problematic where you just read that one verse, and less problematic is when you read the stuff around it. And even more so less problematic is reading other parts of Scripture, understanding the full counsel of God that we're responsible to as mature believers in Jesus Christ. For example, right above this text that starts, where did we start our text today? Verse, where are we at? 18, right? Last week we were in 12 through 17. So there's even more information which is pretty critical to this context. Check this out. Let's read 12 through 17. So as those who have been chosen of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, put your faith in Christ, then he chooses us, holy and beloved, So this is everybody. If you're the church, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Verse 17, Whatever you do, do all to bring glory to God. So when you finish with that part of the uh, scripture, and then you go into husbands do this and children, it just makes more sense, does it not? Makes more sense. And to make it even further non-problematic, there's other parts of scripture beside the book of Colossians, which we covered about a year ago when we went through the book of Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Just a few books to your left. You have Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. You may remember this. Last October, October of 17, in back-to-back weekends, Pastor Dave spoke on the three verses about wives being subject to their husbands. And then I spoke on the nine verses, the nine verses of husbands loving their wives. And I think there's a reason that there's three for the wives and nine for the men because it's more difficult to agape love our wives the way Christ agape loved his church and died for her by putting his life on a cross. And so I don't want to reiterate that. If you want to listen, Dave did a masterful job on on the topic of wives uh, submitting to their husbands last year. It's still online. And I I, might have did an okay job, I don't know. On, on men loving their wives. But if you want to do that and get more depth, go to last year online and you can look at those. I just don't want to do that again. But look what's, look what's here. If you look in uh, chapter 5, starting at verse 22, you see verse 22, 23, and 24. So you have even more scripture about what it looks like for wives to be subject 
to their husbands. And then in verses 25 to the end of the chapter, verse 33, all of that is about husbands and how they are to agape love, sacrificially their wives. And so we have to be careful if we just take things out of context, if you will. So we have a problematic way of looking at Scripture and a non-problematic way. And of course, there's more throughout Scripture. All right, so enough of that. Go back to Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at the Lord language. What does that mean? Let me explain. Look at verses 18, 20, and 22. 18, 20, and 22 is the group of submitters. Verses 18, 20, and 22 are those who submit, right? Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. There's the Lord language. Verse 20, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Look at 22. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. The Lord is mentioned in all three of the submitters, but not those being submitted to. I'll explain that in a second. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Paul's primary emphasis here in Colossians is on those who submit. But why? Why, I wonder? Let me show you one commentary that says this. God has a definite order for his economy on the earth. Right? God is a God of order. And since the order is God-ordained, Christians have a responsibility to accept it and live within it. So, our character as followers of Christ, as men and women of Jesus Christ... Men and women of the family of God. Our character is initiated when we understand that as Christians, we are called to a life of submission. That's what Paul's trying to point out. We are called to a life of submission. Paul is pointing to those who submit to let us know that we are called as believers to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. A good friend of mine who's a church consultant, he told me this years ago when I was in my early 20s, Gary, Gary Reinecke, he said, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Because Lord means what? It means master. When we have a master, we submit. Good word. So our character is initiated when we understand that as Christians, we are called to a life of submission. And as such, when we properly submit to others, and to the Lord, it's, as verse 18 says, it's fitting in the Lord. As verse 20 says, it's well-pleasing to the Lord. As verse 22 says, we do it because it shows our fear, our reverence towards God, our fearing of the Lord. So when we live a life of, of submission, it shows that we, it's fitting in the Lord, it's well-pleasing to the Lord, and it shows that we fear, we reverence him. So, we have the responsibility to accept and live within the order of things as set forth by God. Look back at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. As Paul's opening his letter, verse 28 of chapter 1, he says, We proclaim Jesus Christ, and we're admonishing every man and woman, and teaching every man and woman with all wisdom, so that we may present every man and woman complete in Jesus Christ. Paul wants us to be mature, to be complete. That's one of the themes of the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians. And so complete means becoming mature in our relationships. 
That's part of being complete, is being mature in our relationships, especially those to whom we submit. And I love how Paul subtly addresses masters in chapter 4, verse 1, which indirectly addresses husbands and fathers. Look at chapter 4, verse 1 of Colossians. It's it's almost like, wow, Paul ain't messing around, man. He's like, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah. Like, don't mess with him. Be careful. I love that. It seems that Paul expects in this text, in this context, that Paul expects or assumes that those in leadership understand their role to represent the Lord well in their treatment of others. That's what Paul's saying. It's like, I don't, I don't need to get much into to the, to the fathers, to the parents, to the masters, right? Into the husbands. You know your role. Your role is to treat people well, to lead well, to love well, to agape other people in your life. You know that. So do it. It's just a reminder from Paul, don't be a turkey. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a turkey. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. Verses 18 and 19. Let's read those. The three pairs we're going to go through. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Okay, let's explore a few things. (laughs) Wives. I want to tell you what being subject to your husband actually means. It means be subject to your husbands. Okay? Are we, are we clear? Do I need to say it again? Submitting to your husbands means to submit to your husbands. There's no fancy other alter, alternate meaning. That's, that's what it means. Okay? But husbands, what it also means is that you're supposed to lead. You're, you're, you're called to lead men. And to lead biblically is to lead with agape love. To lead biblically is is to lead with the same love that Christ expressed towards his church. No different. That scares me because that's fierce love. And am I loving my wife like God loved me, like he loved the church? I'm trying. I believe many of you are as well. Doesn't mean, he, he doesn't say, Wives, be subject to your husbands, and husbands provide. Husbands protect. Husbands point them and your family in the right direction. That's part of agape love, but that's, that's not what he says. He says, agape love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. And don't be embittered against them. Don't be harsh. Is Jesus harsh with us? No. No. He's harsh against sin, but he loves us. He loves his sheep. So when we lead with agape love, men, when we lead with agape love, that's the positive command. We'll avoid the negative command of treating them harshly. I asked my wife in preparation for today, I asked her about what a husband's agape love means to her. And she said, in no particular order, and I'm I'm writing stuff down, right? She says, understanding my needs, accepting my quirks and giving me a pass, encouraging me, providing, not having your thumb over me, but asking me to come alongside you, cooperating with each other, no record of wrongs, peace, comfort, protection, safety, but in the sense that you won't leave the relationship, partnership, 
guidance. And I says, honey, I'm running out of time. <laughs> now, she didn't say that I actually did any of these things, but these were the things that came, came to her mind. It was really sweet. It was a sweet time to ask her that question. And she spoke those things of me, and I'm humbled by that. Verse 18 tells us, wives being subject to their husbands is fitting in the Lord. It's appropriate. It's fitting. It fits well. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way God ordained it to be. Being subject may not be fitting for you, wife. It may not be fitting for you, husband. Some husbands are checked out in their relationships. But it's fitting in the Lord, and that's all that matters. Sometimes we don't feel like doing it. Sometimes we don't feel like having it done to us as men. But it's fitting in the Lord. And so we need to work it out. We need to work it out. Another commentary says this. Submission or subordination does not mean inferiority. It's got nothing to do with it. It simply means that the husband, not the wife, is the head of the home. (laughs) I like this. It may be thought of as the president and she is the vice president. Just think that's cute. See, the world would have us to fight this, but we are to follow this, knowing that Father knows best. The world would have us to fight this, but the Lord would have us to follow this, because he knows what's best for us. See, Christ came (laughs) that we, his bride, he's the bridegroom, Scripture says, and we're the bride. He came that his bride would have life and have it more abundantly, John 10.10 says. And so as husbands, we're to do the same, to give life to our brides so that they may have it and have it abundantly. We're to help our lives live an abundant life. My wife tells me all the time, and it humbles me, because I think it's partially true, but maybe not as true as she says it. She just, she tells me all the time, thank you for giving me such a great life. My life sucks, but hers is fantastic. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just being silly. It's just stupid. It's one of the joys of my heart to do that for my wife and for my kids, is to give them an abundant life. A divinely appointed call to submission. A divinely appointed call to submission, that's the wife, and love the husband. A divinely appointed call to love, which is the husband, is something beautiful and desirable, not controversial. It's not controversial. It's beautiful and it's desirable because it's what God ordained. Verses 20 and 21. Let's read those. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. We're not going to spend too much time here since we don't typically have children in the service. One thing that has significant impact on us is this, however. Verse 20 tells us, or tells children to be obedient in what things? All things. I like that. So far, I'm good. As a parent, that's fantastic. It says to be obedient in all things. If you recall, if you recall, there was a time, perhaps long, long ago, when you and I were children. <laughs> right? Remember? Remember that? Okay? What, what a great training ground for us. If we can obey our earthly parents in all things, how much more 
our perfect heavenly Father. Can we obey Him in all things? It's just a great training ground. If we can do that with our earthly parents, how much more our heavenly Father can we obey Him in all things? It's also interesting, this transition from verse 20 to 21. Check it out. It says, children, be obedient to who? What does it say? Your parents. But in verse 21, it says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. I just think my understanding, the way I've lived through life is like, it's just a natural thing for mothers to not exasperate their children. But it's perhaps more natural for men to be missing in that regard to exasperate their kids, to be demanding on their kids. And so I think Paul calls out fathers because I think it's more difficult for men to not exasperate their children than it is for a woman. One of the main responsibilities, men, dads, is to encourage. It's one of the main responsibilities we have is to encourage our kids, not exasperate them, but encourage them. Dads, don't make your kids have to fight for this. Don't make your kids fight for your encouragement. Give it to them. Give it freely. Give it often. How often do we encourage our children, dads, moms, even now, regardless of their age? My girls are 28 and 25. I encourage them today. Called Chelsea in D.C. and just said, sweetheart, I'm just so proud of you. Texted Joni, she's up, with the, up in the mountain at her church. She's involved in Alpha, which is showing people the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they go on a retreat. She's, she's totally hooked in Alpha, man, three times a year. She's just pouring into non-believers and trying to share with them the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I texted her, I'm just so proud of you pouring into people, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I tell them all the time, I'm just so proud of you. I'm just so proud of you. I hope we encourage our kids, regardless of how old they are, my girls are 28, 25. I will never stop telling them how proud of them that I am. There are way too many children out there, and many of them are now adults, that have lost heart. It says, don't exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. There's lots of kids out there, and there's lots of adults that were once kids that were exasperated, either because they had no father at home or their father didn't encourage them enough then it's very sad. Verses 22, at the end of chapter 3, verses 22 all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read those. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Hmm. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Verse 1, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. In today's culture, this, this was addressed to masters and slaves, not employers and employees, just so you know. It was addressed to masters and slaves. It's not really relevant anymore, but it is very similar, if you will. There's a parallel. It's probably parallel in today's culture for the workplace. Some important takeaways from here. We see here another command to be obedient in all things. That's what verse 22 says. Slaves in all things obey. Very similar to the children, right? It says, children, we just read that. Children, obey all. It says, slaves, obey all. The takeaway for us as disciples of Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters of his, is what? Obey all. 
How much easier should this be for us to obey a perfect father if we can do that with imperfect fathers and imperfect employers, if you will? Deuteronomy 30, verse 8, when they were getting recalibrated with the Lord, it says this, And you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments which I command you today. It's a great training ground. Being in the workplace is a great training ground. Being in the home as a child is a great training ground to be obedient so we can be obedient to all that the Lord asks us to be obedient to. Our primary motive in the work that we do, (laughs) our primary motive in the work that we do should be, should be, should be to please the Lord. That's what verse 22 says. To have reverence for the Lord. That's what verse 22 says. And to serve the Lord, that's what verse 24 says. Let's look at that. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters, not with external service, as those who merely please men. Don't merely please men, but please God also, with sincerity of heart, fearing or having reverence for God. So we do that to please God and to show reverence to him. In verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. That's our primary motive in the work that we do. To please God, to reverence the Lord, and to serve the Lord. However, it doesn't mean we're not to please our masters on earth. It doesn't say, oh, I'm only here to please God. It doesn't matter what, if I please you. It doesn't say that. Look at what verse 22 says, slaves and all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men. Don't merely please them. You need to please them. Don't merely please them. Please also your heavenly father. So it's both. We're to please our employers. Church, <laughs> look at it this way. Our work is a Christ-centered endeavor. Our work is a Christ-centered endeavor endeavor. Huh. You ever thought of it that way before? I'm going off to my Christ-centered endeavor with my lunch pail and my nasty boss, right? Or whatever. It's a Christ-centered endeavor. God can redeem that. One might even say that our work is not a a hand issue like where you work with your hands. Our work is more of a heart issue. It's not about a body. It's about our heart. Work is about our hearts. It's a heart issue. And there are consequences to an uncalibrated heart. Look at verse 25. He who does wrong in this will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. A buddy of mine about a year ago calls me. got fired. I'm working at a place for 10 years. And, I, and, he's, and he was hurting. He says, where are you at? And I says, I'm hanging out wherever, on a bagel shop. So I'm always at a bagel shop. I said, uh, where are you at? He goes, I'm on my way. And he's, he shows up, and he's, man, I'm working. I did what he asked me to do, and, ah, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, I, and he just kept talking. And he's like, well, I hated my job. Well, I wasn't really, you know, like, right? So he, he's trying to please men, but he wasn't pleasing God. He knew that he was shortchanging God. His heart was not calibrated to please God. And there was consequences for that. So as he kept talking, and I kept listening, he kept really more confessing that I really needed to be fired. <laughs> he knew that his consequences were well-deserved after about an hour of just processing. There was consequences for that. His heart wasn't calibrated correctly. 
So how guilty are we really in our man-pleasing? And how aware are we really that we are to perform and please the Lord in our work? It's a great question. How guilty are we in our man-pleasing? And how aware are we really that we are to perform and please the Lord in our work? Sometimes we're not pleasing to man, but we can still be pleasing to God, can't we? How many of us sincerely and reverently work for God when we show up to work? How many of us sincerely and reverently work for God? I love about verse 23, the New Revised Standard Version puts it this way, verse 23. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it. Get into it. As done for the Lord and not for your masters. Mm. Isn't that cool? Another commentary says this, working with an awareness of God's character and presence enhances the dignity of the labor of even slaves. So no matter how demeaning your work is, this is a great quote for us, working with an awareness of God's character and presence enhances the dignity of the labor of even slaves. How many of us go to work each day in order to serve God? One thing I learned over the years was how to be a good servant wherever I worked. I had to learn that. I was an amazing servant for whoever I worked for. I learned how to serve. Man, I liked it, but I would do what my boss told me to do with a smile on my face. I was getting paid to do what they told me to do. I wanted to be an amazing servant to whoever was my master on earth. Oh, I complain sometimes about it. Don't get me wrong. It was not easy at times, don't get me wrong, but I determined to be, I wanted to be a good servant. And that was, and it still is, a great blessing to that earthly master, but more importantly, to our heavenly master. Amen?